John sat quietly in the dimly lit private room in one of the most exclusive restaurants in Engelstadt. He marveled at the high beam ceilings and the eclectic decorations around the room. He smiled, turned to the hazy image of Mara sitting across from him and remarked, They came up with the craziest things to call art. He squinted, trying to make out if she had any reaction to what he said, then leaned back into his chair. Remember the first time we came here, Mara? I got so mad about the painting with just a white square titled white. You had to calm me down. Remember what you said? He said, smiling painfully. The silence in the room was like a vacuum. I'll remind you. You you said the problem I had with the painting was something that was innate, as opposed to being, you know, a problem specifically with the artwork. You know what? You were right. There was a long pause. I'm losing you, John said finally, after staring at her shadowy figure for several minutes. I can't seem to get get over the fact that you won't talk to me. You know, I miss our conversations, our banter, the fun. I wish you could all we could have it all back. The hazy figure of Mara moved, and John leaned forward in anticipation. Just then, there was a knock on the door, and seconds later, a young man, who was probably in his early 20s, walked in with a bottle of 1995 Chateau Petrou, one wine glass. He looked dapper in his tuxedo, and his Afro-styled hair had been pulled back with a bright red headband. He smiled as he approached, placed the glass on the table, displayed the name of the bottle, uncorked it, and poured the drink into a cup. Will there be anything else I can do for you? John stared at him angrily. I told Mao two glasses. Did Mao not tell you that? Oh, I was not aware of that, sir. Are you expecting someone? He said, looking around the room. Just then, Mao bust into the private room with another wine cup in his hand. Sir, sir, I apologize. The boy is new here. He looked flustered as he walked up to the table and tapped the young man lightly on the back of his head. Mao brushed his frumpy hair back and forced a smile. The young man flinched and looked at Mao in confusion as he filled the second cup halfway. Captain Reichenau, is there anything else I can get you tonight? Mao inquired, bowing his head and stepping back. You really have to screen your guys before you introduce them to me, Mao. There's a reason why I pay for my privacy, John responded quietly. Of course, Captain. This will never happen again. The young man is one of our more exciting prospects, but he's only just learning the ropes. In time, you'll come to appreciate him as much as I do, but for now I want to personally extend my apologies and that of the restaurant. Mao continued, tapping the young man in the back. The younger man looked bewildered bent from his hips, and gave John a bow. I apologize, sir. Mao stood upright, tugged at the young man's shirt, and signaled for them to leave the room. John watched quietly as the two men exited the room and shut the door. John turned to the empty seat, willing the vaporous apparition of Myra to appear across from him. I don't get your disappearance anymore. We said we were going to work things out, 
Losing Alex was hard on both of us, but you pledged to stay. Then I come home one day and you weren't there. You took nothing. No money, no clothes. You just left. Nothing was out of place. It still boggles my mind. John began rubbing his temple as lines of stale grief and weariness etched on his face. You've, you've thrown me for a loop, and every time I think about it, which is just about all the time now, I feel like I'm missing a piece of the fucking puzzle. It's like, like, he looked around the room confused. It's almost like you're here to tell me something and the mirror separates us. It would be easier for me if you were dead. But the calls, he sighed and took a sip of the drink. I know, I know it's you. I pick up the phone every time you call and I hear you breathe. I know it's you, but you never respond. He looked away from her, got to his feet, and began to pace around the room. Am I going mad? I probably am. I spent too many hours on my own, locked in my apartment, coming up with pointless theories about why you could have disappeared. He stopped talking and stared at the figure of Mara turning more transparent. I think I now know what can help. It's why I wanted to have dinner here. I spoke with Mike. Things are looking good with regards to returning to the organization. I know. I promised you I wouldn't return. But you're not here. The sooner I have something to do, the better. The bitterness dripped from his tone. He reached and grabbed a glass of wine on his side of the table. Nothing? Say something, damn it. He shook his fist at her in exasperation. He stared at his glass of wine, then at her, then back to his glass of wine as his fist began to clench in anger. Fuck! He screamed in a fit of primal rage. He threw the glass at the wall behind her and watched in frustration as it smashed against the wall. He walked back to his seat, grabbed the bottle, and downed a couple of gulps. I can't be doing this. I'm not insane, he muttered under his breath. He reached into his coat, pulled out a wad of cash and tossed it on the table and headed out of the room into the bustling restaurant. Captain! Captain! The voice of Mao called out as John headed for the exit. John turned to him. Mao, tell the chef that I unfortunately lost my appetite. I'll be back soon enough, but... I feel a bit under the weather tonight. Of course, Captain. I once again apologize for the mix-up earlier, Mal continued. Not a problem, Mal. I did not take it to heart, John responded, patting him on the shoulder. I left a bit of a mess and some compensation to cover it. Make sure the young man gets a bit. He turned towards the exit and headed out the door. As John stepped out, he reached into his pocket and glanced at his phone. Still no call, he said under his breath. He put the phone back into his coat, buttoned up, and started walking down the road towards his home. As the vehicles raced past him with their headlights blaring, his mind began to wander. A distant memory played in his head as though it was happening right in front of him. Good job tonight, boss. The voice of Antonio said to him, almost as if he was sitting across from him. In his mind, 
John turned and stared at Antonio, who was seated in the driver's seat with a grin on his face. What the fuck are you talking about? He asked angrily. The job, Antonio responded, looking confused as the smile slowly faded. John reached for the door handle and pulled it with so much force it heard it crack. He stepped out of the car into the cold winter snow, slamming the door behind him. He marched to the driver's side where Antonio sat, a look of confusion etched on his face. Antonio watched as John clenched his fist and in a fit of rage punched through the window. The window shattered under the force of the blow. Antonio tried to start the car but John reached out for his weapon and pointed it at Antonio's temple. Get out you piece of shit, John said in a tone of disgust. Antonio raised his hands from the steering wheel and moved to get out. He was bleeding from his cheeks and his eyes were darting left and right. I was just following, Antonio stared to say, but John pistol whipped him in the face and Antonio fell to his knees and wailed in pain. What happened out there? John asked, his tone menacing, his breath condensing into a thick white fog in front of his face. You said to deal with it, Antonio screamed, big red droplets of blood splattering onto the white snow. You were meant to scare them. At what point did we talk about killing anyone? John shot back. It was a miscommunication. I mistook your words. Antonio said, trying to drag himself away. John lashed out at him with a flurry of kicks, causing Antonio to let out a loud growl. I could shoot you right now, John said, cocking his gun and pointing it at Antonio, who was now crawling away from him. You fucking deserve it. John pointed a gun at him for a few seconds and let out a scream. I have no idea what Mike sees in you. You're a belligerent fool with no sense of decency. We went in there on the others that we rough up one man. But now I have to speak to Mike about how we killed 11 people? He slowly returned the gun into his holster. 11 people who had nothing to do with what we were sent there for. He looked into the clear blue sky. What the hell was up with the... Ugh! John waved his hands in front of his face. Why the mask? He finally asked. Just for effect. Antonio replied passively. Oh, for fuck's sake! Get out of here before I change my mind about letting you go! Antonio groaned as he got to his feet. He limped towards the scar and climbed in. John turned around and headed towards his house without once checking on the departing Antonio. Dad! A young voice called out to him as he entered the building and turned towards the kitchen. John whipped around to see a blurred-out face of his son. He felt a sharp pain in his chest and he grasped at it. Hey there, son. John rasped emotionally. Where's, where's your mom? She's taking a nap, Alex, his son, replied as he made his way towards John. Are you all right? He asked, pointing at his dad's bleeding hand. John looked down at his hand and smiled. It's, it's just a scratch, he said reassuringly. He walked into the kitchen, turned the tap on, and slowly washed the blood, which had begun to clot off his hands. He winced at the water revealed his wounds. Mara will have a field day this time. Alex... Grabbing the bandages in the top drawer, he said, quietly pointing at a drawer. Alex skipped dutifully to the task. 
He returned with the bandages and stood there as John wrapped his hands. How's my little boy doing this beautiful morning? John asked as he reached for Alex, who had his hands outstretched. Uh-uh, I'm not a boy, Alex responded instantly. You aren't? John stepped back, feigning surprise. This is news to me. What are you these days? I'm a man, Alex said, folding his arms over his chest in defiance. I made something for you, Alex declared. I'll go get it. He skipped out of the kitchen and up the staircase. As Alex disappeared up the stairs, John's mind faded back to the present. He had been working home, using only his muscle memory. As he walked up to the entrance of his house, he turned around and stared into the distance, as if acknowledging that he had no idea how he had gotten home. He felt a tear run down his cheek as he turned the lock and stepped in. The room was designed in a modern, minimalistic style with very few items. There was a large three-seat sofa that straddled the wall, a small cabinet in the middle of the room, a soundbar on a long cabinet, a TV on the wall, and at the end of the room, a large window pane that looked into the city. The walls were painted gray, the chairs were gray, and everything seemed to be colorless, except a large red toy car that had Alex written on it. John took off his coat and threw it across the room as he glanced at the spot where a picture of Mara used to hang. He walked into his bedroom and fell with a thud onto his bed. The longer you're gone, the more you invade my thoughts, he sighed. He glanced at the bottle of trioxicotinol next to his bed. This is the only way I ever get to see you now, he said looking away. The only way I get to see your face now is to float through memories. He unbuckled his belt to start his nightly ritual and tied it around his upper arm, took out an unused syringe, stuck it into the bottle of trioxicotinol and pulled enough dosage for one night. He stared at the needle as excess drops trickled onto his bed. He took a deep breath, stuck the needle into his arm and pushed the liquid in. There was a warm rush as the liquid forced its way in through his veins and slowly enveloped his whole body. He felt the sense of euphoria kick in. His muscles relaxed, and within seconds, he felt like he was floating on air. He drifted through the darkness. Nothing matters. I am free, he thought. He floated for a few seconds, then he heard a voice call out to him in the distance. He closed his eyes and let his ears lead him towards the sound. You came, the voice said to him. John counted to three, then slowly opened his eyes. He was no longer in his room. He was in a bright field with the sun beaming fiercely on lush green and bright flowers all around him. John raised his hands to shield his eyes as his vision slowly adjusted to the light. I'm here. Mara's sonorous voice called out to him. When John's vision adjusted, he could make out an oak tree with golden brown bark, long leaves, and vines that spiraled to the top. John started walking towards the tree as a gentle wind caused the leaves to rustle. A few leaves broke off and floated gently to the earth. I knew you would come, she declared triumphantly. You knew I would? 
John called out to the voice from behind the tree. Yes, John, Mara continued. Marlene told you that I had a secret for you. I knew you couldn't help but come out. So there's no secret? John called out. There may be, she responded coyly, placing her hands behind her back and swaying left and right as the air blew through her hair. I don't have any secrets I want to share with you, Mara, John responded. There was a faint ringing in the distance, and John turned around to try to make out where the sound was coming from. Well, I know of one, Mara said, walking towards him. John stared at her lightly freckled face as she stopped in front of him. Her eyes were deep, piercing blue, and it seemed to carry an air of immediacy that made him nervous. Does it have anything to do with me? John asked, mustering some confidence and trying to sound authoritative. Hmm, you tell me, she responded with a wry smile. I have to go, Mara, John said, taking a step away from her. I heard you broke up with Marike. Mara said, brushing her hair back. John stopped moving. That's not a secret, he said, furrowing his brow and narrowing his eyes. Well, Malene overheard Johan and Ernst talking yesterday, Mara said. And? John asked, tilting his head back and shrugging. You didn't let me finish, Mara said. Marlene told me that she heard them say that you liked me and wanted to ask me to the dance. John's eyes widened as he shrunk into a shell of himself. Mara laughed out loud victoriously. So it is true. John, who was now red from blushing, shook his head vigorously. No, no it's not, he muttered. Mara, who was smiling from ear to ear, walked up to him with her chin up and chest out. Then why would they say it? Even, even if it were true, what makes you think I will ever ask you out? John shot back. I don't expect you will, she said, turning away from him. John gritted his teeth. You tattled on us, didn't you? You went to Otto Kessler's office and said that Conrad and I had cheated on the test. Gathering some confidence, he waved his fingers furiously in her direction. Yes, she said dismissively. You did cheat, didn't you? I couldn't just let it happen. She responded, kicking the falling leaves into the air. She smiled as they floated to the ground. John, who was watching her nonchalant response with clenched jaws and a throbbing vein in his neck, punched angrily at the air. You could not keep your blabbermouth shut. No, I couldn't, Mara responded calmly. Then you, you really must be insane to think that I, I would ask you of all people to the dance. John swung around angrily and started walking away from her. So, you're too scared to answer my question, huh? Mara called out. What question? He retorted, stopping in his tracks. Well, if you won't ask me out, John, I have no choice, Mara said. No choice? What are you on, blabbermouth? Mara brushed the insult off. Well, 
Would you go to the dance with me? I would very much like to go with you. John stared into her dark blue eyes, bewildered. I really do want to go to the dance with you, she said, staring at her toes. Even if you act like you don't like me, I want you to know I like you very much. John could not find any words to say, so he just stared at his feet. Finally, he looked up at her and mumbled, I, I guess. Mara let out a playful shriek, leaned in and kissed him on the cheek. I'm so excited, she exclaimed. I cannot wait to tell everyone about it. Mara turned away from John and started running in the opposite direction, kicking leaves into the air after every step. John just stood there and watched with his jaw in his palms as she ran into the distance. What have I done? He said under his breath. Then he felt the high fading. Uh, you changed this. Then he felt the darkness return. The jarring sound of the phone ringing filled the air again and John looked around the darkness to figure out where the ringing was coming from. He closed his eyes again. When he opened them, he was standing in the kitchen. You never fucking listen to me, Mara shouted. Huh? But what are you talking about? He asked as the stare streamed down her cheeks. What's going on? He looked around the room, his eyes darting from one side to the other. Where's Alex? Mara stood quietly looking away from him. John felt his stomach tighten as a feeling of heaviness slowly crept in. He began to realize which memory he was in. What did you do? He asked, his eyes widening in alarm as he bounded past her and up the stairs. Alex! Alex! He called as he swung the door of his son's room wide open and he stopped. His body tightened and his mouth opened up wide in horror. Alex, Alex, daddy's here, he said, ambling towards his son, who was lying still in the bed. The closer he got, the more he was forced to face the reality of what lay in front of him. Alex lay in the bed, pale, thin, and lifeless. His eyelids were flaccid, his skin around his elbow was sagging. The lifeless face of Alex had a smile on it. John reached out and touched Alex's hand. The tears rolled down uncontrollably as he squeezed the cold hand. Just then, Mara stepped into the room. John turned to her. What happened to him? The tremors got really bad tonight, Mara began in a soft, cracking voice. She took a deep few breaths in and wiped the tears from her face. He kept telling me he was cold. I wrapped him up in a blanket. But it was never enough. The pain, the pain would overwhelm him and he would tremble and writhe in my hands. I tried everything. I tried everything I could to calm him down. He kept calling for you, saying you would know what to do. I tried to reach you, John. 
but every time I called, it went straight to voicemail. I finally had to give him painkillers. Myra pointed to the syringe on the bedside table. He kept saying he wanted to see you. Before he left, I kept telling him everything would be all right and you would be home any moment. Then everything got quiet. There was a smile on his face and I had not seen in a long, long time. I thought the medicine was working. It wasn't until... Mara stopped and turned away from John. He lay there so peacefully. It was the most peaceful I've seen in months. I hadn't realized that he was gone. The doctor said it was improving, John said, shaking his head in disbelief as he turned away from Mara. The doctor said the drug combination was working. It had to be. He played for the first time last night in weeks. I thought he looked good. He looked away from Mara to Alex, back to Mara. I thought the worst was behind us. He's in a happier place now. He's no longer he's no longer going to have to deal with all the pain, she said with a sniffle. John could feel her resolute stay on the back of his neck and her hand massaging his shoulder as they quivered violently. He closed his eyes and started counting slowly to ten. I want this to be over when I open my eyes. Please be over. The phone in the distance rang again. John opened his eyes to Mara standing beside him, running her fingers through his hair. He stared into her dark blue eyes for several seconds as she smiled at him. What are you smiling about? John asked. Just a joke. One of the jokes a teacher told me, she said, running her hands through her short dark hair. I still can't get over the new look, John said, shaking his head. I'm so used to you being blonde. You will, she said, as she rubbed his earlobe. So, will you tell me the joke? Oh, yeah, Mary responded. I'm not sure where he got the joke from, but it goes like this. A young girl was drawing a picture while the teacher was teaching a math lesson. The teacher gets irritated, matches up to the girl's desk and asks, What the fuck is so important that you're drawing while I'm teaching? In those words? John smirked. Of course not, Mara said, slapping him on the shoulder. I'm adding some color. Anyways, the girl responded that she was drawing God's face. The teacher goes, no one knows what God looks like. The little girl smiles and says, They will once they see my picture. <laughs> John chuckled as the ringing started again. Aren't you going to get that? Mara said, pointing into the distance. Do I have to? John asked reluctantly, a disappointed look on his face. I guess I do. John woke at a start from his drug-induced slumber. He stared at the ceiling for several seconds as the phone rang in the adjacent room. He stirred finally and slowly began to get into his feet. 
Okay, okay. I'm coming. I'm coming, damn it, he said in a groggy voice. He shuffled slowly into the adjacent room and fell to the floor beside his jacket. He reached into his pocket and brought out his phone. Hello? He mumbled. Where the fuck were you? Mike's angry voice came from the other side. I, I was... John started... <coughs> I was preoccupied. Preoccupied? It's five in the morning. John, what could keep you preoccupied from 9 p.m. till now? Mike responded, softening his tone. Things came up and I had to, John started to say. Listen, John, I called you because I felt I needed you. Remember, the logical version of you that always knew how to set me straight, who called me out when I was going too far. Remember, I want that version of you now because things are going to get crazy. So you have two options right now. You can lie to me about preoccupations and how you were so busy for hours, or you can take the bottle of Troxy you have by your bed and dump it away. Mike responded patiently. I should warn you, this will be my only offer to you. You of all people should know how that shit works. Your work perceptions, fits of anger, and if you continue down that path, you become a darkie, forced to be suppressed by the chemicals released through the pipes. There's really no middle in this, and I need to know if you're going to work with me or wallow in your self-fucking-pity. I, I want to be free, Mike, John said in anguish. Listen to me, brother. Whatever you thought of her, she's gone. She didn't even give you the courtesy of telling you she was leaving. Now you have to get yourself together, not only for me, not only for you, brother, but for Clara and Cecilia. They've been talking all week about how they're excited to see you again. You only reluctantly just came back from the dead. Of course, John nodded. How did you know? I'm the fucking drug and baron, of course I know, Mike yelled. Then more patiently, if you need to get your mind walking on something else, then I have something big for you. First, I need you to assure me that you will start to get clean from tonight on, Mike continued. I will, John responded. You're entering the Drogenspielen, and there's been no better time than now to have you on my team, brother. Mike paused. I'll send a car for you on Thursday. Look dapper. The kids and Ursula are dying to see you. I'm glad, I'm glad to hear it, John responded, rubbing his aching head. Good, Mike replied. The line went dead and John sat there for a few seconds staring at the lifeless room. Then he felt the darkness envelope him once again. He felt his eyelids get heavier. Then he slumped to the floor in a heap.